0: You ever, have, uh, you ever have one of those years that doesn't go according to your plan? Anybody? No. Anybody at all? Okay. Anybody Anybody have one of these? It's called a planner. Anybody at all? Not anymore. Has anybody's planner actually worked out this year? Like anybody? I didn't think so. Probably not, right? Um, you know, obviously 2020 has been a crazy year for a lot of people, um, to say the least. And things don't always go according to plan. Um, I mean, that's it, that's even true with some of my preaching sometimes. So I was fully finished with my message for Sunday on Friday morning early and then um, was kind of going over some stuff for our EQ time or as Ryan calls it, Second Church. And as I was doing that, the Lord kind of put a thought in my mind of some things that uh, I have hit on before and preached before. And so I redid my entire message. So I guess in one way I'm, I'm done next week, which is good, but... had to redo in my entire message, uh, because things don't always go according to plan. And we're actually going to be in a couple passages today. We're going to go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this morning, and there's something that I just want to hit on in highlight of something that I had talked about in our Ecclesiastes series, the meaningless series, and something that I kind of hit on the very first message of the year, And then we're going to go back to Acts chapter 7 at the very end of the passage this morning. And then next week, Lord willing, we will complete the whole chapter 7 of Acts as we talk about Stephen and his life. But let me ask this question as you're turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 is where we'll be this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 starting in verse number 14. But what, what has been the most difficult thing about this year for you? What has been the most difficult thing about this year for you? Anybody want to share anything, Natasha? To totally, give it over to him. totally give it over to him. Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. Christina, what were you saying? But everything changes. Everything changes. Yes, but it's like that song. Some things never change. Some things never change. Oh yeah, everything does change. Frozen too. If you have little kids, you watch those things. Come on, people. Seriously. Yeah. Well, you got a lot of catch-up to do. Uh, what else? What are some? Uh, what, are, what, is, what has been the most difficult thing for you for this year? Uh, Stephanie? My consistent things have not been consistent. Your consistent things have not been consistent. Very good. What else? Yeah, Marcus? Hey, customer's house. Do what? Going to a customer's house. Going to a customer's house. Yeah, that's true. That's changed a lot. Do you, you have to pull a gown up, you know, yeah. put your hazmat suit on? Yeah. Got to check your cable. Yes, Crystal? Has been coming home, not having a job. What else? Anybody else? It's been some of the more difficult things this year. Anybody? Just routine. routine? Just not there. <laughs> yeah. So, I remember we're in church on this question. But how, what what is one word you would use to describe 2020? <laughs> one word. Remember, when we're in church. Okay. Chaos. Shouldn't have to say that. Chaos. Thank you. <laughs> chaos. What else? Unsettled. Unsettled. Very good. What else? <laughs> what? A nightmare. Okay, what else? Tyranny. Tyranny. I'm I'm not even going to go there. Uh, What else? Anybody else? Draining. Draining. Yeah. Anybody? What? It's been good too. What? Political circus. Political. That's two words. I said one. (laughs) Circus. circus. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else? One word. If you put a hashtag in front of it, yeah, that's true. You can have like 15 words as one, because it's all one, yeah. So if you want to do that, Ryan, hashtag, whatever. Okay, there you go. Anybody else? Anybody else? One word you can describe this here? What? Garbage. Garbage. All right. Amelia? COVID. COVID. All right, very good. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter number eight. Ecclesiastes chapter number eight is where we're going to be this morning in just a few minutes, but again, this year for all of us hasn't gone according to our plans. And really the reality, the truth is that most days don't even go according to our plans. You know, we spent, we spent an entire series, 12, 13 messages back in October into, I think, um, uh, end of January, early February, uh, teaching on some of these principles back in Ecclesiastes chapter eight, and Lord kind of reminded me of some of these things, really in preparation for this message, as I had already finished and was working on some other things. Uh, but it was a good reminder for myself, and I think a good reminder for our church, because I don't know if anyone remember anyone that was here, but the very first message I preached this year on Sunday morning was learning to lose it. How many remember that message? And there was something that I, that I said that I wanted to, for you guys this year, and like, obviously I was a prophet or something, but I said, I, wanted, I want you guys to learn to lose control. So it's your fault. <laughs> it's year. my fault. Yes. You're welcome. You're welcome. But obviously some of you guys didn't learn it, so it's your fault, okay? Uh, but I, I said, I want you to learn to lose control, and what I was talking about and referencing is the fact that Solomon was on, on an endless search for meaning in life, was he not? He was an endless search for satisfaction. You know, we've been talking about above all, allowing the gospel to shape our life. And really this series and, and the book of Acts has been another, adi- uh, an additional identity quest for us to trying to discover what our true identity is and that our identity should be staked in the gospel. And, you know, some of the things that I've thought about with going back to Ecclesiastes 8, and we'll, we'll read that in just a second, but it's also as well with the series, is that, Life is not designed to be controlled by us, is it? I think 2020 has hopefully taught us that. Life is not meant to be designed by us. It is designed to be dependent on Him, on God. And as I was thinking, you know, obviously the message, I look back at the whole message and I'm like, wow. Like, I was kind of foretelling some things to the church and if they would have just got this... It would have been so much easier, but really, here's the truth: how many, how many don't always apply the things that you learn? I think every hand should be raised. I think I alluded to this. I think last week in the message, you know, Amanda, I had asked the question to her: Hey, which which year has been more difficult for you, 2019 or 2020? And she said, by far, 2019, for her. And she said the the part, the part that she said that stood out to me was the fact that there were a lot of lessons and principles that were given to her in 2019 that she wasn't ready for, but she allowed them to start shaping her life, her mind, her habits. And by the time 2020 got here, yes, it's been crazy and tyrannical or whatever it has been. It's been crazy and chaotic. But as she was saying, it's helped her focus on what's truly important. And a lot of people have been devastated with COVID, with 2020, and I think a lot of Christians have too. And I think the reason is because they haven't applied the lessons that they've learned. How many would agree with that, really? I mean, no, none of us in here have gone through a pandemic, right? I mean, none of us in here probably have gone through a pandemic in our lifetime. You know, we've gone through a lot of craziness. And, you know, I think Brother Don and they're the oldest in our church. And they've gone through a lot of craziness in this world in, in their 90 plus years. But even this year has probably topped it in some of the craziness, right? They've never seen some of that. But a lot of, again, a lot of the thing that we have to realize is that God gives us the lessons, the principles from His Word to shape us, doesn't He? He gives us the principles to continue to to thrive, to make an impact, to understand where our identity lies. And some things that I've shared before, and really the the first brief part of the message is is kind of a, a reminder of some things that we talked about before, but Remember, it is not up to you to hold it all together. It's not up to you to hold it all together. And and as I went back in my mind, you know, the message I preached January 4th, I think it was, I just wish that the ones that were here and listening online or whatever would have just got that as March hit <laughs> and April and May and June and July and August and all of those things. But... When the, when the world was really flipped upside down, for a lot of us, it flipped us upside down, didn't it? Because to me, it showed me where our priorities truly lie. And it showed me who's really in control. You know, within many of us, there is that great struggle to be in control, isn't there? Right? A great struggle to be in control. You know, and what Solomon taught us, and I'm not going through the whole book or the whole chapter, really just a a quick reference, but what Solomon taught us in Ecclesiastes was all about lordship. It was about your pace and pressures in life and, and the response to all of those things hinged on one main thing, which is this, who is Lord in your life? Who is truly in control? That's what all of Ecclesiastes taught us. And again, this is setting up the continuation of this series. Who is truly in control? And life is filled with many enigmas. It's uh, filled with many crazy, strange things. And one of, the, you know, one of those enigmas is called 2020, really, if you think about it. I don't even think Barbara Walters could have predicted this enigma, Right? <laughs> But enigma is this, it's a person or thing that is mysterious, puzzling, or difficult to understand. And as I was kind of going over my notes last night, as we got home, the, the person I thought about that would be perfect for this in our church was Ryan. Ryan is an enigma. I mean, is he not? <laughs> Family, is he not an enigma? Someone that's puzzling and difficult to understand, right? Right, Cadence? Thank you. Um, Ryan, come on up here. For real? Yeah, for real. <laughs> Might as well. Oh, take the glasses off. Let's get let's get, let's get serious now. I don't, know what we're about to do. I don't know what we're about to do either. It's just coming to me. But this guy is an enigma, is he not? I mean, he is puzzling. He is confusing. He is difficult to understand. And really, there's a lot of us that are that are enigmas. Um, but I want to want to skip down to something here. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. You're trying to preach him. Trying to get Oh, he's trying to get ahead. Okay. What's going on around you is not the problem. Look at my notes. <laughs> What's going on around you is not the problem. You know what the problem? What's going on within you? I'm using you so I can beat up on someone today. Here's the thing. It's very easy for us to, let's say Ryan is that person that's an enigma and he's just he's confused with life, he's confused with 2020 and all the strange and craziness that's happened. He's really a great picture of all of us. He's not really sure what's going on. And it's very easy to blame our present situation on our circumstances, is it not? Right? Whatever, you can do whatever you want. Uh, It's very easy to do that, isn't it? But the problem is not what's going on around us. All of the turmoil, man, you're doing great. All of the turmoil, all of the difficulty, that is not the problem. COVID is not the problem. The political circus is not the problem, is it? The problem is what's going on within us. The struggle from within. All right, you can go back to your seat. I just, I don't know, I just wanted (laughs) to pull you up here for a minute. The struggle is what's going on within, and within every single one of us is a struggle for control. Every single one of us has this, this struggle for control. Again, none of us plan 2020. You know, planning is not bad because planning is uh, indicative of good stewardship. And we've talked about that in our church. But finding your true identity in the gospel, I want you to listen to this. And this is really key for this message. And then as we go back more in depth next week to chapter 7. Planning isn't a bad thing, but finding our true identity in the gospel is not necessarily about planning. It's not about control. You know what it's about? One word. Losing. Losing. Stay with me here. Finding your true identity in the gospel is about losing. And I've been referencing this the past several weeks. You think about Peter, you think about John and Stephen, as we will, Lord willing, hit on him. The thing that came to my mind, I've referenced this in Mark chapter 8. Remember Mark chapter 8, where it talks about whosoever will lose his life, will save it, and all that kind of stuff. And and, and life in Mark chapter 8 is talking about from the Greek suke or psyche. And what I said is what you have to do is you have to learn to lose your pre-existing self, who you have created, who you think you are. And to really have a gospel above all identity as Stephen had, as Paul had, as uh, Timothy, as Peter and John and some of these other apostles after Jesus left this earth, it was really about losing themselves. Here's what I mean. In the gospel... You don't have to find yourself. There is this endless search for an identity in our world today. And I've said that many times. That many of us are on an identity quest. We're trying to discover who we are. So we're doing and changing things constantly, right? Constantly changing things to try to discover who we are. Well, maybe I will be better and more happy if I have this in my life an identity quest. Maybe I'll be more happy and more fulfilled and more satisfied. Life will have more meaning. If I have this in my life, if I have that in my life, if I have this job, if I have these relationships, we're always constantly trying to change things. But in the gospel, you don't have to find yourself. Really, what you do in the gospel, you learn to lose yourself in order to find who and what your true identity really is. You see, Having a gospel above above all identity comes down to this. There is no more searching for who you are. There is no more discovering, who am I in this world? There's no more trying to find things that will validate you. Because here's what the gospel does. It helps you lose control in order to find freedom. And as I went back to to the very first message in, in this year... I want you to learn to lose control. And what I was saying is I want you to learn to surrender control to the only one who is in control. That's what 2020 was about for me as I set up the stage for the messages and the series that we were going to preach. And really, I think many of us would say that you probably struggled surrendering control this year, right? I think many of us, if not all of us. But if you want to truly find yourself, who you are, who you are in Christ, who the gospel says you are, you must learn to lose control in order to find freedom. You see, a large part of our lives is spent fighting things in which we cannot change and cannot control, right? There's an endless fight, there's an endless struggle. Again, you think of COVID, you think of all the craziness of the the circus and everything that 's going on in this world today there's a constant fight for control, is there not? and that 's true and, and indicative within many churches and within many christians life and here 's what it comes down to. We seek answers that we cannot have to questions that we don 't understand. We seek authority and power and judgment of that which we do not possess. We seek to escape that which has power over us so that we can have power over it. But what Solomon was teaching us and what Solomon taught us, and again, this is really just a reminder quickly. What Solomon was teaching us is that you are either going through life, listen to this, grasping for control, trying to grab onto control of things in your life because you are going to blaze your own path and blaze your own trail. So I have to be in control, right? You are either going through life grasping for control. And listen to this. And when you don't have control, you're frustrated over not having it, right? So you're either going through life grasping for control and frustrated over not having it, or you are resting in him who is actually in control. And really that's what, not just 2020, but that's what life is all about. You're going through life, grasping, fighting for control, or you're saying, you know what? Forget it. I give up. You win, God. I'm surrendering to you. I'm surrendering to your lordship. I'm surrendering to who you are. And here's the thing. When you surrender, you know what you find? You find freedom. You find contentment. You find joy. But the more you struggle, is it really freeing? You think about, you know, wrestling, you know, I mean, wrestling can be fun. You're wrestling with your kids or someone else, but it doesn't leave you like as you're wrestling, man, this is joyful, right? I'm just full of joy as I'm wrestling and trying to, to struggle with someone else. And if it's a fun thing, that's different. But if you're truly wrestling with someone and trying to pin them down, it's not like this is bringing me so much joy because no, I'm trying to win. I'm trying to control them, right? I am trying to be the one that is, that is dominant and in charge, So that's what we do with life. We are fighting for things that we are trying to control. But the key principle that that Solomon is teaching us, and I'll reference these verses here in just a second, but get this, I think I have it in your notes, but you will either go through life contending or contented. You will either go through life contending, which means fighting, struggling, grasping for control, or you will go through life contented. Think about 2020, and it's easy to look back because most of it's already happened, but most of us have gone through 2020 contending, haven't we? Haven't we? Yes. We've been fighting for control because our control is is losing the government. They're trying to control us. It doesn't matter if they try to control us or if they do control us because they're not in control, are they? Who is truly in control? God. And that's what we even do with the political circus, and, and he's right, I mean, there is a political circus, but even that, you know, we are fighting for things that really don't matter. It doesn't matter who is elected on Tuesday. It doesn't. And you can say, well, you're wrong. It doesn't matter because Jesus Christ is sovereign, is in control. No matter if every election, now, this is the fifth election that I've, I've been able to, to vote in. And every election, it's I, I've heard it in my lifetime that. This is the most, you know, important election in our history, right? Every election, every four years, it's the most important election for us, right? Every election, so it doesn't change. So no matter who's in the office, four more years. This is the most important election for our freedoms. Is God still in control? Is God still on the throne? If we've learned anything in Revelation, it's that that it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Now, we should vote, and I encourage people to vote. You know, vote for... Really, neither one of the candidates are good. I'm just being honest. (laughs) Neither one. And that's the thing. We we elevate people and men in positions or women in positions. Man, we're so messed up with that. We think they're our Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior. Now, you should vote. It's not even necessarily the individual policies and all that kind of stuff. And really, as a Christian, just thing that's stood out to me and I don't really get political too often but as a Christian one you should never vote for someone or a, a policy that, that they stand behind that, that kills unborn babies no. right. you should never vote for an individual or a policy whether you like that person or not if that's what their, their whole agenda behind their party is about you should never as a Christian vote for someone in your right conscience but yeah many Christians do that right Because I don't like this person. I don't like this man. I don't like this woman. So I'm going to vote for this person because they are our savior. None of them are our savior. But if someone is clearly saying, you know what? It's your choice. Where in the Bible does it say it's your choice? Does it? No, it doesn't. Life begins at conception. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, Jeremiah talks about that. I'm completely going off on a rabbit trail, but... The thing is, we are going through life contending, struggling, grasping for control, or we're going through life contented. And listen, if we go through life contending, this is really a traditional and modern identity that we've been talking about. If you go through life contending, struggling, then eventually, you know what's going to happen? You're going to self-destruct. If you continue to hang on to that traditional identity, allowing others to define you, or that modern identity that you are defining yourself, you're going to continue to struggle, continue to grasp straws, and really you're just going to self-destruct. But in the gospel, you actually find yourself. You find who you are, who you're meant to be. And as I said earlier when Ryan was up here, what's going on around you is not the problem. The problem is what's going on within you. And the problem with all of us is what's going on right here, within our heart. Because within our heart, within our minds, there is a constant struggle, is there not? A constant battle that is being faced in war, and the war that is raging within us. Listen to me. Controlling what's going on around you will not fix what's going on within you. Our hardships, listen to me, our hardships are not as detrimental as our attitudes towards them. Pastor, 2020 has been hard. Yes, it has been hard. It's been hard for all of us. But our hardships, the difficulty of 2020, is not as detrimental as our attitude towards the hardships. And there are a lot of Christians, and I'm not, I'm not going off on mental health issues. That, that's a real thing. I understand that. But there are a lot of Christians that struggle with that because that's a control issue. You're fighting wars in your mind instead of trying to just surrender it to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's an easy thing. I understand there is a real battle there. There is a real war that's raging. And I, and I get that. The Bible talks about that. But so many of us are struggling and fighting for things that we can't control. And then we get all, oh, I, I can't do anything. Can't go anywhere. And then we freeze. You know, we've been talking about gospel multiplication. How can we truly multiply in the gospel if we are frozen in our tracks and so afraid to do anything? Can we? So scared of what's going on, so anxious for who's going to be the next president. I don't know what's going to happen. All my freedom is going to be lost. Uh, Did you realize that there are many countries around the world where they have no political freedom, and yet there are thriving Christians? Because they realize that their independence, their freedom, doesn't lie in who's in control, but who is in control. Look, I'm thankful to be an American. I'm thankful for the freedoms that we have, and, and I'm thankful that God has still given us an open door. And maybe that door is closing, maybe it's not. But As long as it's open, we have to keep pressing through. But back in Ecclesiastes 8, Solomon taught us that control is not always within our reach. And this is important to the series, as we'll look at more next week with Stephen. You see, Stephen clearly learned this lesson. Look at verse number 14 of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. There is a vanity, which is done upon the earth, that there must be just men, unto uh, just lost my place. Hang on, unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Then I commended mirth. And because a man hath no better thing under the sun. Than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labor. The days of his life. Which God giveth him under the sun. When I applied mine heart to know wisdom. And to see the business that is done upon the earth. For there is that neither day nor night. Seeth sleep with his eyes. Again what he's saying is. There's this constant struggle. this constant control. Then I beheld all the works of God. That a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out. Though a man labor and struggle to find out what is going on in life. To find out how to control life. Yet he shall not find it. Further. Though a wise man think to know it. Hey I've got the answers for you. Yet shall he not be able to find it. And here's. Here's what Solomon is teaching us very quickly, and I'll try to make an application. Here's what Solomon is teaching us. What we must do, not just in this short passage, but in everything that he's taught up to this point, is this. We need to learn to surrender to the enigmas of life. I'm throwing out that word. We need to learn to surrender to the enigmas of life, those mysterious, those puzzling things, those unknowables, right? There are a lot of unknowables, And Solomon is closing out this chapter in this endless search for for meaning, for control, for satisfaction. And he's accepting questions that he cannot answer. The best most of us can do is observe the journey through the window of our moving train and attempt, with all the scenery whizzing by, to make sense of it all. And we think, why is God's power so confusing? Because quite simply, we aren't God. And we will never understand God's power. We will never understand all that God is trying to do in our lives. And Solomon is finally applying himself to these strange enigmas of life. He's understanding here that no man, no woman will ever understand the totality of things or ever begin to comprehend or explain what God is doing and why God is doing what he's doing. Look, God doesn't expect us to know the unknowable's. There are questions that will never be answered. And Solomon is trying to figure it out. But in verse 17, he's basically saying, he shall not be able to find it. Here's his conclusion. You must learn to be content with not knowing everything. Let me say that again. You need to learn to be content with not knowing everything. And I know that's a struggle for a lot of us. Right, Dustin? Yes, very very much. much. I saw him smiling back there. It's a struggle for a lot of us because we want to know everything. And we want to know what's going to happen on Tuesday. We want to know what's going to happen next year and what's going to happen in our lives. And we're planning and planning and planning and nothing wrong per se with that. But we are trying to control life when life is out of our control. And it's only ever been in his control. And the only way you'll find true meaning, true identity, is to surrender to his lordship. You know, Solomon is trying to teach us to surrender to the enigmas and, and really what he is saying is this, life is inconceivable. (laughs) That's exactly what he said. I didn't say it good, but some of you guys got that. Life is inconceivable. (laughs) Look, I'm going to keep using that word because I really do know what it means and it it means what I think it means too. But (laughs) life is inconceivable. It's filled with enigmas. Look, listen, listen. Even on your best day, even on your best day, you're still human and not God, right? Even on your best day, you're still human, which means you are the creation, right? Not the creator. Which means you are, because of sin, you were flawed. So even on your best day, whatever day that might be, and we all have a good day, and we all have a lot of bad days, right? We all have those days where nothing goes right. Maybe that was today for you. I don't know. But even on your best day, when everything is going your way, You're still not God. You're not God. And I can picture Solomon as as he's coming to these conclusions at the end of chapter 8 and he'll continue on for the next three or four chapters. But it's like he's finally just throwing up his hands in the air and saying, all right, God, you win. I'm going to surrender. My life is yours. I'm going to stop searching for satisfaction, for meaning. And I'm going to finally say, you know what? That's it. I lose, you win. So what Solomon was teaching us is what really the apostles are trying to teach us back in Acts. Look, there were many unknowables with this year. And there's a lot more to come. But what matters is what we, what we do, or what matters is this, that we learn to lose ourselves. And what I'm talking about is this, we learn to lose ourselves in the gospel. I don't have this in your notes, but just write this down. The gospel is the answer to our brokenness. The gospel is the answer to our brokenness. And remember, the gospel, it's more than just the good news. The gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is being redeemed, set free. The gospel is the answer to our brokenness. And really what I'm meaning is this. The gospel is the answer to our identity problems. Listen, as Christians... We have been called to live life on mission, have we not? We have been called to live out a radical faith and fulfill our radical mission. But what happens is that many of us have replaced a radical faith, have replaced our radical purpose with what is comfortable. And the truth is that many of us are still trying to contend with this life. We are trying to struggle with control, trying to struggle and fight for control of things that we cannot and will never control. We contend with our identity. I don't know who I am. And then what, we have some of us that have this, you know, Eeyore mentality Woe is me. Everything's wrong in my life. Everything stinks. Poor me. That's a horrible perception of yourself because you don't know who you are in Christ. Because in God's eyes, it's not, woe is you. you're pretty awesome because I have made you that way and I have given you everything you need to thrive and be joyful woe is me life stinks nothing's going my way everything I try to do is not working out you notice the pattern here it's all about me, it's all about I it's all about that, whatever song is going through your heads forget it I know crazy day but again this year has been painful and I was thinking about it in my own life. Really, this year hasn't been my worst year. It's, it's really been far from that. You know, my worst year was 2012 when I lost my son, my firstborn. But this year is, what this year has done for me is it's helped reorient me, reposition me, help me to realize what truly is important. For someone here who said, this year just stinks, it's been my worst year. Well, I could see how that could be. But really, you think about this. If you're oriented in the gospel, which means positioned, fastened, anchored. If you're oriented in your true identity, then when life flips you upside down, you don't lose your direction. Because your direction was never tied to this life. So when a pandemic comes, or whatever is going to come in 2021, when life flips you upside down, you don't lose where you are because you weren't tied to these things, right? You weren't tied to this world, but many of us are so tied to this world, we can't get beyond that. And that's why we're grasping for control, and we're struggling for things that we cannot control. You know, I go back, and again, just reference some things that I've preached already. You know, God has commanded us, Jesus commanded us when he left this earth to go live on mission, right? To go make disciples. That's our purpose. We exist to advance God's kingdom. But many of us are too content on strengthening our own kingdom. And we're too complacent that we've fallen into a casual and comfortable Christianity. And we're failing to realize that we've been commissioned. And listen, anything less than radical obedience to our mission, and what I mean is really, anything less than radical obedience and devotion to Jesus Christ is unbiblical Christianity, plain and simple. So the reality is, many of us in our Christian lives are very unbiblical. And this isn't just to beat you down, this is really not it's really to try to, to help you understand who you really are. Listen, and this is important. Jesus died for us. He gave his life for us, but here's where we miss the boat. Here's the macro of the whole Bible. God did not die for you and you alone to live however you want, did he? He died for you, and thankful that you have a personal relationship with him, but he died for you to live for him to advance His kingdom, to advance His glory, to tell others about Him. But many of us completely miss the boat. God loves me. I have a personal relationship with Him. He died for me. But He commissioned you. And in Matthew 28 where it says, go into all the world, that's present participle. If you don't understand English, that means while you're already doing it, continue to go. While you're already going and telling people about Jesus, go ahead and make disciples. But many of us aren't doing anything. So how can you make disciples when you're not doing anything? Look, this, this me-centered Christianity is what's ruining our churches in America. This It's all about me. It's all about my family. It's all about my interest. Yes, God loves you. Personally, yes. But it's not so you live how you want. It's not so you go to the church that best suits your needs. God loves you so that you can make him known. His ways His salvation, his glory, his greatness to all nations. You know, I want to multiply the gospel, but it's hard to multiply the gospel and see gospel multiplication when we have a me first attitude. You think about the stats that I've given in the past several weeks. There's at least 5.4 billion people in the world that are unsaved. According to the statistics, there's at least 2.3 billion Christians. Now, again, they lump Christianity with Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. So I really doubt that number is as high as it is. But let's just say for statistical purposes that there are 5.4 billion people in the world that are not saved out of 7.7. There are 3.2 billion unreached people groups. And I think I misquoted it on Wednesday there's over 4,000 unreached people groups. It's astounding, isn't it? It's astounding. It's astonishing. Wow, that's, that's overwhelming. But listen, here's a typical mindset, and I had a conversation with someone here earlier this week about this. Here's a typical mindset. There's too many, right? There's too many. Blows my mind. I can't reach them all. You know, why even go on a mission trip? Why serve? Why tell anyone about Jesus? Because there's too many people in the world. But don't you see that's the wrong attitude? Because, look, it is not my job to reach everyone, is it? It's not my job to save everyone. Because here's the reality I can't save anyone, can I? I cannot personally save any single person. But you know who can? Jesus Christ. It's my job, it's your job to point them to the one that has the answers, to point them to the one that can save them. And yes, it's astounding. The the stats, the facts are overwhelming. I I can't reach everyone, so why would you even go on a missions trip? You know, we talked about going to Africa. Why would you even go to Africa? That's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. You can't reach everyone, so why even try? Why go and tell? Why serve? Why, Why pray? And here's what we do so many times. Well, there's too many people. I can't reach them all. So you know what I've decided to do? I've decided to do nothing. And I've decided to reach no one. Actually, better yet, no, 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 that's wrong. I've decided to take care of myself. Because myself is the most important thing. Who cares about all those people that are starving and going to hell? Because I can't reach them all. I can't do anything. What's it going to do, me going over to another place, another country, and seeing them? I can't do anything. You can do something, can't you? Not everyone in here is ever going to go on a mission trip, and I understand that, but there are still people that are lost. Out of those 5.4 plus billion people, I'm pretty sure that there are a lot that reside in this county. Right? You know, we had the, the campaign, and really it's more than just a campaign, but it's not about the overwhelming statistics. 5.4 billion people, I can't, I can't do anything with that. But can you tell one? Can you reach one? Can you do what you're supposed to do? Look, God loves you so that you can fulfill His commission of making His name known through the world and making disciples. And what I saw in my study of Acts chapter 7 that kind of led me to all of this today, this rogue message, if you will, what I saw were lessons that I already preached. In Stephen's dying moments, you know what he did? I'm just going to read it. You don't have to turn there. If you're already there, that's fine. But in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, it says this He kneeled down, cried with a loud voice. They are stoning him. They are throwing stones at him, pummeling him. And he prays and cries with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know what he's doing? He is showing us a picture of Jesus Christ. Because what did Jesus Christ do on the cross? Lord, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it was astounding. It blew my mind. Stephen is praying for forgiveness. And really, this response that Stephen has, it's impossible without supernatural enabling. And it's impossible without losing his pre-existing self. It's astonishing what he's doing after what has been done to him, and we'll more reference that next week, I promise you. But Stephen is attempting to do for others what Jesus did for him. Now listen to me. Stay with me, please. To follow Jesus means to sacrifice your life for others, just as Jesus sacrificed for you. And here's a convicting question. I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think about this. Where would you be right now without Jesus? Stop, stop. Just think right now. Where would you be right now without Jesus? Where would you be heading? Here's the most simple answer. All of us would be heading to damnation. To a lake of fire as the Bible calls it. You see, without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no way of salvation. Without Jesus, there is no chance at heaven. There is only death, destruction, and hell. Now consider this. And it's going to sound like I said it wrong, but I'm not. This is precisely where billions of people are in the world right now without us. Think of where you would be without Jesus. And this is exactly and precisely where billions of people are in the world without us that are saved. Right? We sing songs like, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Why? So I can just do whatever I want here in America and enjoy all of my freedoms and all of my luxuries and all of my things that I want to do instead of actually going out and living out a radical purpose and fulfilling his mission? I know, I say things as a preacher I shouldn't say, but get over yourself. That's strong with American Christianity. Look, God sent His Father into the world. God sent, God the Father sent His Son, Jesus, into the world for us. And you know what Jesus did in turn? He did the same thing. He sent us into the world. So God the Father sent His Son, Jesus, into the world for us. To save mankind of their sins. And if you trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you've given your life to Him, then Jesus Christ has sent you into the world has he not to tell others martin luther said it wouldn't matter if jesus died a thousand deaths if nobody ever heard about him you think about paul and this i mean just so many thoughts going through my head but think about paul you know paul said i can't remember if it's romans or or what passage but he said i am a debtor right I'm a debtor to the Greeks, to the Jews, to the Gentiles. Really, really what he was saying is, I am a debtor to everyone. How does someone become a debtor to someone else? How does someone become a debtor to someone that they don't even know? Listen to me. Here's how. Here's how Paul could say that I am a debtor to all of those that need Jesus Christ. Because he took seriously the implications of the gospel. That's how Paul could say, I am a debtor to those that need to be saved because they need to understand the gospel. And I understand the gospel, and I'm taking seriously the implications of the gospel, so it's my job to tell them. But the reality is many of us in here have not taken seriously the implications of the gospel, have we? You see, if we truly believe that the gospel has the power to save, then there must come an obligation to multiply You see, the truth is what Jesus did for me, the attitude should be, now I'm going to do that for others. And once you realize what Jesus did for you on the cross, then nothing in your life will ever be the same. Not your home, not your cars, not your family, not your relationships, not even your church. Once you truly realize what Jesus did for you on the cross, nothing in your life will ever be the same, will it? But the reality is most of us really, truly haven't realized what Jesus did for us. Because if we really, truly realize what Jesus did for us, well, Pastor, I did because I'm saved. No, if you truly realize what Jesus did for us, then you would realize that you have a job to do. Right? And it's our job to be busy about the job that God gave us. Look, God never called his church to maintain an institution, did he? No, but that's what we do. We try to maintain the institution. We try to go with the status quo. We try to build up our little kingdom. We try to add to the church, add to the pews, add to the seats. I'm trying to maintain, maintain, maintain. You know what God called us to do? He called us to complete a mission. As I referenced last week with Nate in his video game, he doesn't want to just maintain where he is in the video game. He wants to complete it. And that's where it needs to be for all of us. That it's not my job to just maintain my life my job to complete the mission that God has given me. And I think, I think if many of us were honest, we would say that we have fallen woefully short, right? I've been saying this for weeks now, but it's true that first and foremost, if you are not saved, and Jesus Christ came into this world to save you and your sins. I've been referencing the ABCs of Christianity that first of all, you must admit that you are a sinner. Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose victoriously from the grave. He's not in the grave. There is an empty tomb. No man, no woman in history had the power to raise himself but Jesus Christ. But then finally, you must confess your sins to God. You see, there's a lot of people that have a head knowledge of God and there's a lot of people probably within our churches that have a head knowledge of God and even all around here in Decatur that have a head knowledge of God but are not truly saved because to me, if you're truly saved, then you're going to live for Him, right? And I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation. I'm trying to get you to, to figure out what you're doing in life and get back on mission. Get this down. In the gospel, you don't have to find yourself This is what it all boils down to. In the gospel, you don't have to find yourself. You need to learn to lose yourself in order to find who and what you truly are. You see, there's no more searching. There's no more trying to find things that will validate you. Because here's what the gospel does. It helps you lose control in order to find freedom. I told you a couple weeks ago, we're kind of changing direction with our church and changing direction with our mission or vision. Our vision really is this. We exist to reach people with the radical power of the gospel. And that's what it comes down to. And here's what I want from this series. And I feel like this was an important message for the times that we're going through and the craziness and, you know, the uncertainty with what's going to happen on Tuesday or what's not going to happen or it's going to linger on for three more months, whatever. Surrender to the unknowables. Surrender to the enigmas. Surrender to the things that are inconceivable in life. And what I want you to take from the series is this. I want you to own your mission. To realize that, okay, Jesus Christ, the King Supreme, the sovereign leader, has given me a mission, an assignment, and I must complete that assignment. And anything less than radical obedience, radical devotion, is unbiblical Christianity. So where are we today? You know, I appreciate some of you that have you know, been convicted heavily over the past several weeks and have done something about it. But the reality is many of us get convicted and shut off the conviction, do nothing about it, and we continue on with our lives. I can't save them all. I'm not going to do anything. I don't know what to say, so I'm not going to tell anybody. Good for you. Continue to be unbiblical. Good for you. That's harsh. Well, it's truth. I'm not trying to be harsh. I am trying to speak the truth in love with grace, but it so burdens me. It so burdens my own heart, my own life, because I have woefully fallen short. And I know if I have, then I know many of you have too. I want the gospel to be above all of my life. And I've been on this journey, as I've told you guys and shared with you more in our EQ time, this journey of gospel identity. And I know it's taken me a long time to try to Bit myself there, but a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of evangelists, a lot of missionaries aren't. They're stuck in identity. It's not necessarily bad, but it's incomplete. Or they're trying to redefine themselves. But in the gospel, you don't have to find yourself. You don't have to redefine yourself. You are who Christ says you are. I am who I, or who he says I am, right? I'm chosen. I'm redeemed. I'm accepted. I'm adopted. That's who I am, not, oh, I don't know who I am. My life is, woe is me. Man, wake up. Surrender to the enigmas. Surrender to the unknowables. It's not about finding yourself, it's about losing yourself. And that's what really we need to do again, many of us. Kind of like Solomon throw our arms up in the air. All right, God, I'm not there yet, but I'm learning that it's all about you. You're sovereign, you're in control. I lose. I quit trying, you win, here's my life. Had about nice, closed.